Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. This will be our first broadcast that is both video and audio. When teaching through the Bible, we're going to try and produce both videos and audio as we go through this material through the Word of God. We're going to start in the book of Haggai. We're going to start in verse 1. And these first couple of podcasts, uh, the first couple of videos and, and, and broadcasts on this topic are going to deal with the historical background of the book of Haggai. But first, let's, let's lay the foundation. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying. So Darius is king, king of Persia, and we are in his second year, the sixth month, and the first day of the month of his reign. And at that time, Haggai the prophet begins to prophesy. If, you're, if you have a Bible and you're following along, look at Zechariah chapter 1. I want to show you what happens about two months later. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying. So you have these two prophets. Haggai is the first prophet to, be, to prophesy after Judah returned from Babylonian captivity. Zechariah is the second prophet. So he began prophesying almost exactly two months after Haggai. So you have these two prophets, the Lord sends out, they have very intense messages for Judah. Judah's in bad shape spiritually at this point in time. The, the house of God has been neglected. The Lord is very upset and he's going to deal with his people. But what I want to, before we get to all that, what I want to do is lay the foundation as to how we got here. And the difficulty with laying a, a historical foundation is how far back do you go? Is you could you could go all the way back to Adam if you want and 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 come all the way forward depending on how overly technical you want to be. Now to keep it in context and to to not belabor it, we're going to start with Jeremiah the prophet. 
Uh, Jeremiah was sent to Judah to prophesy and to tell them that they had stored up God's wrath against them and that God was going to deal with them and he's going to deal with them rather harshly. Now, they, they initially had the option of repentance. The Lord was going to send Jeremiah in. Jeremiah was going to go and preach to the people. And, and the, the idea was that if they would repent upon their repentance, God would turn away his anger. Well, they didn't want to do that. They rejected that message. They rejected the opportunity to repent and to stay in the land. So God sent Jeremiah back. And the, the next message that was given to them was, you're going into captivity. There's no other option at this point. Uh, you had a chance to repent and upon repentance and, and, and works that were meat for repentance, then God would have allowed them to stay in the land. That was not their prerogative. They had a bunch of lying pastors at that time. As a matter of fact, the book of Jeremiah will teach you more about what a pastor is and is not than any other book of the Bible. And at the time, they had several lying pastors that kept saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They were just lying to these people. But because people had an ear that was more bent towards hearing what pleased them rather than hearing the truth. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? That should sound very familiar in our day and age. Um, they would rather hear from Joel Osteen or Joyce Meyer or some other false lying preacher or pastor or someone that even shouldn't even be a pastor. Uh, they would rather have them to give them a positive, feel good, pick me up kind of, kind of thing, even if it lies to them. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah was going to preach to them the truth from the word of God. That was your only option. And they rejected Jeremiah in favor of, of these liars that had come in and, and lied to them. And as a result, God guaranteed them, you're going into captivity. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes, God was going to send them from the north country. And when he comes in, your only option was to surrender. If you tried to fight back, God was going to make sure their, their, their weapons were useless. If they tried to flee to Egypt, he would make sure Egypt turned them away. Uh, there was nothing they could do. They were going into captivity. They had so disregarded God and his word, they're going into captivity. And it should be a stark reminder since these things were written for our learning and admonition that God is not, not a person you want to toy with. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So you want to be on his side. You want to be subjective. You want to be obedient. And, and that's, we don't only want to do it because of the possibility of the negative. It comes with great benefit. God is tremendously good to those that are obedient to him. And so it's, it's a wonderful thing to know God and to, and to be uh, obedient to him. So the prophet Jeremiah prophesied for around 40 years before Judah went into captivity. That, that's a long time. That is ample time to hear from God and to get ready for what was coming. And of course, they rejected his message. Uh, if you're following along your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 37. Jeremiah chapter 37, we'll look at what was coming. Jeremiah 37, verse 1. And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. 
They just wholeheartedly rejected him. Um, that is repeated in Jeremiah 7, verses 11 through 20. God said, all nations, including Judah, his chosen people, Judah. Now, Judah made up the southern tribes or the su- southern kingdom. I- Israel, as a nation, had been split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The, sec- the, the southern kingdom was called Judah, made up of Judah and Benjamin, but they rejected God's word. They rejected his instruction and God was willing to send them into captivity. Now, this is very important to pay attention to because Judah was the very tribe from which the Lord Jesus Christ himself would come from. Jerusalem was God's city. The temple where God put his name He allowed a Gentile king, and we'll see that in a moment. He allowed this Gentile king to come in and burn it to the ground, which means that if God would do that to his own people, his own city, and his own temple, that it just makes far more clear that God is not someone we should play with or toy with. It's a very serious thing to to be disobedient to God and should not be taken lightly. And of course, in our day and age, Sin is so flippant. People don't care about what God has to say. And because God is so gracious, they assume that his grace cannot be quenched or that his grace cannot be frustrated. And they assume that there is, that because he's long suffering and because he's loving and he's, and he's merciful, they assume that there, there's no end to that and that a day of judgment is not coming. And that is a foolish mindset to have. Uh, not, I can't convince you of that. <laughs> and it's hard in a world where people can burn down entire cities and then just go home with no repercussions. It's, it's difficult for a nation full of people like that to understand the judgment of the, the judgment of God. When, when you can do anything in this life and your father doesn't punish you, your school doesn't punish you, the police don't punish you, the judge doesn't punish you, where there is no repercussion for your, for your vile, filthy and violent activity, why would you believe that God's going to do it? But allow me to take a moment and reassure you, God is absolutely going to deal with your sin. That day is coming. That appointment is set. Only the Father knows when that's going to be. It would behoove you to make certain you are on God's side in obedience to his word. Don't toy with God. But now, the option is yours. If you want to go that route, that's completely up to you. Now, Jeremiah, as a prophet, had an unbelievably difficult ministry. If you've never read the book of Jeremiah, you, you definitely need to sit down and read it and pay close attention to the um, unbelievable, unbelievably clear parallels that take place between our ministry today as Bible-believing Christians and the world the world that we live in and, and, and the way that the world we live in hates the Word of God and hates to hear from God and hates to hear from God's people, when you, when you look at that in light of Jeremiah's day, man, it is awfully similar. It is unbelievably, unbelievably similar. Now, here's the difference, though. Jeremiah was thrown in prison. Jeremiah was thrown under the prison. Jeremiah was, was beaten. Jeremiah was, Jeremiah went through horrendous treatment because of the ministry the Lord gave him. We get poked at, 
you know, people drive by and say, hail Satan, like it's new, like nobody's ever said that before, like it's original. Um, it's not even like, it, I guess the first time you hear that on the street corner, when you first go out street preaching, maybe it's significant. You hear that and, and it's a bit of a shock that someone could be that idiotic that they would hail Satan. But now it's, you know, we try to help them out, give them a break, tell them to go home, try to be a little more creative and then come back with something original and new. But it never happens. They just want to drive by and for shock value, they yell, hail Satan. That's that's about the worst we have to deal with. Uh, now, the more that radical Marxists take control of your country, uh, worse days are coming. And if we as Christians don't pay close attention to the book of Jeremiah and the book of Haggai and pay attention to the, not only the fact that, that the world around us, you know, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, not just that, but the fact that our, our cowardice and our lethargy and our laziness and our unwillingness to do what God has instructed us so clearly in the word of God to do upsets him. So we're going to have a, a world of people angry at us and a world of people who who are upset with us because of the message that we're supposed to preach and because of the stances that we're supposed to take. And we're going to have them coming down on us. And then we're going to have God who's upset with us because we're really not doing what we're supposed to be doing. That would be a bad spot to be in. And it would be best if we took this encouragement and just repented now and not follow the historical uh, route that Israel took, and as the New Testament church, that we remain faithful to the Word of God and do what God asks us to do and live in such a way that is pleasing to Him. And and He's not asking for much. You know, it's... Anyway, so Jeremiah was... Jeremiah had a hard time. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9. His ministry calls them to say, say this about himself. Jeremiah 9 verse 1 Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He was heartbroken at what he had to go and tell these people. He was heartbroken at at the message he was to deliver. He did not enjoy expressing to them or telling them or informing them of their, their, their pending condemnation, their pending doom. He wasn't excited. I'm going to go out and tell these people they're going into captivity. It broke his heart. And where this is important for us, if if you're excited to tell people they're going to hell, you got a problem there. If you're excited to tell people they're going to hell, but you have the solution to get them out of hell, that's the proper balance. It's It's not good that people are going to go to hell. God himself did not want people to go to hell. That was not his aim. That was not his goal. That was not his intent. But but that's what was necessary in order for justice and righteousness and and holiness to to remain intact. That God doesn't commit sin against his own nature, his own attributes, as we like to call them. So man has to be punished. Man has to be dealt with. But it's not a good thing. God does not want men to go to, he takes no pleasure in that kind of thing. He rejoices when people repent and trust him. And so we should have this, this mindset and this attitude like Jeremiah 
It should break your heart to understand that people you know, people you love, people in your life are going to go to hell if they don't trust in Jesus Christ. But that you have the message they need and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you have the word of God, you have everything that is necessary to help them escape that condemnation. That should bring great joy to your heart. That was that was Jeremiah's mindset. It it grieved him that he had to go tell those people. Now here's the di- here's a big difference between the the two of us, between Jeremiah's ministry and our ministry as New Testament Christians. <laughs> we have hope and a means of escape. They were going to captivity. There there's no getting out. There is there is there are, at this point no redemption is available to them. You are going into captivity. There's nothing you can do about it. So that kind of thing broke Jeremiah's heart. He he was not excited about that about that kind of thing. Um, now, eventually, after some forty years of rejecting God's word, Nebuchadnezzar came. He stormed into Jerusalem and he sacked the city and he took the people. Look at Jeremiah fifty-two. If you're following along in your Bible, um, Jeremiah 52 and verse four. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the 10th month, in the 10th day of the month that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came, he and all his army against Jerusalem and pitched against it and built forts against it round about. So he has sieged the city. He's, he's pitched against it. He is, he is about to go in and, and tear the place apart. Verse five. So the city was besieged under the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city so that there was no bread for the people of the land. Then the city was broken up and all the men of war fled and went forth out of, out of the city by night, by, by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were by the city round about, and they went by the way of the plain. So they caught up with them. They got Zedekiah and his men. Uh, They killed Zedekiah's sons. They plucked out Zedekiah's eyes, though they let him live. Uh, Verse 10, and the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He slew also all the princes of Judah and Riblah, then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah. That, and again, that's horrendous. That's horrible. But it didn't have to be that way. God's instruction to that king and his family was, when Nebuchadnezzar shows up, surrender to them. He refused to do that. He refused to do that. This is the route he took, and, and he has to suffer the horrendous consequences. If he had just obeyed God and done what was asked, Uh, things might have been very different for him. Verse 12, now in the fifth month, in the 10th day of the month, which was in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, which served the king of Babylon into Jerusalem. So they're not besieged round about it anymore. Now they're walking into town. And verse 13, and burn the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and all the houses of the great men burned he with fire, and all the army of the Chaldeans that were with the captain of the guard break down all the walls of Jerusalem round about. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive certain of the poor of the people and the residue of the people that remained in the city and those that fell away that fell to the king of Babylon and the rest of the multitude. Verse 16, but Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, left certain of the poor of the land for vine dressers and for husbandmen. Now that verse 16, it, it'll be significant a little bit later. These poor Jews that were left behind, uh, they were left to dry, to dress the land, to maintain the land, take care of the land. But other Gentile kings ended up coming into that land and intermingling with the Jews that were left behind and produced a group of people that we came to know as the Samaritans. So that is significant, but but far more significant than that. Nebuchadnezzar came in and burned down the city, including the temple, all the houses, the walls, everything is destroyed. I mean, that that's that is the sobering result of defiance to God. And I am not saying that God's going to do that to our city. America currently is burning as we speak. People are probably, no doubt, rioting in the streets right now, tonight. Every, every time the sun goes down, a bunch of devils go out and, and burn down cities and, and, uh, and participate in Marxist doctrine. That's, just, that's a typical Marxist socialist uh, uh, means of getting things done. They, they, you know, revolution, burning things down. Um, there are a bunch of cowards that like to run out at night and, and, um, and, and harm people's businesses and homes and, 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 you know, towns that have absolutely nothing to do with their <laughs> perceived social injustices. But um, what I'm not saying is that God is go- going to do that kind of thing to us. There, there, there's no indication of that in New Testament scripture. What I am saying is it's a good thing to have a healthy fear of God and to be obedient to God because you, he's not someone you want to toy with and that you want to play with. It, it actually is a very dangerous thing to toy with God and to play with God in that way. You don't want to do that. So uh, so they go into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar takes them, just like God said he would. Uh, they, they're not going to come back for, for 70 years. Jeremiah set forth that duration. Look at Jeremiah 25. Um as the Lord directed him, he explained or ex- uh, prophesied. Jeremiah 25, verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. You're going into captivity. How's that for a prison, prison sentence? You're going to leave your home. You're going to leave your land. You're going to be taken into a completely different culture under the control of a completely different government. And you're going into captivity 70 years. Look at uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. It is published again in the Word of God. Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in, in causing you to return to this place. And, and it happened exactly as the Lord said it was going to happen, which we're going to get into. We're going to see that. So the, the 70 years is set, and it's even 
the Lord even calls it an accomplishment. You're going to accomplish these 70 years. You're going to be there until, until I decide you're done. And praise the Lord, God's, you know, at one point, David, David um, had sinned against God and God asked it. God gave him three choices on, you know, his, his repercussions <laughs> as we just assume God's not going to do anything about our sin. David sinned against God and God gave him three choices. And, and two of the choices had to do with men harming David. Or the third choice was, was something that God was going to do. And David said, well, you know, God is merciful. <laughs> men are not merciful. So I'd rather be in the hands of God and and receive punishment from God than from men. So I'll take the third choice, which ended up being famine in the land. And so my point in bringing that up is it's a terrible thing to have to go into captivity because of your disobedience to God. But man, it's a wonderful thing for God to say, but don't worry, 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. God is always merciful, even to a group of people who don't deserve it. These people in no way deserved, you know, this, this information from God, this, this uh, revelation from God that let them know when they could come back home and when they could settle back in their land. Now, of course, no doubt that meant several of them were not going to make it back. They were going to die in captivity. Uh, but it's just interesting to me that God is so God is merciful even in the midst of your punishment. It's it's an incredible thing to me. So Judah's in captivity in Babylon, and the power structure suddenly changes. A, a new power rises up. Now in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before this Gentile king is born, God said he would have a Gentile king who would be his servant, and his name would be Cyrus. And that is exactly what happened, just like God said it was going to happen. You know, as you read through the Bible and God said, you know, I think I'm going to do this. And then he does it. What that does for me and should do for you is when God says, I'm coming back to get you, I believe him. (laughs) He's coming back and he's going to take us to be with him. So Judah's in captivity. Look at Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter five. Judah's in captivity and he... Um, they, as a people, are they're there for 70 years, and then there is suddenly this big change. Um, very something very historic takes place. Look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. Now, to give you a little context quickly, you can read Daniel 5 when you have a chance on your own. But this particular night, Belshazzar is king at this point is is a king of uh Babylon or at least one of the kings of Babylon. And he decides it'd be a great idea to have a party and to drink a bunch of liquor and to make matters even worse as, as if any of that was not bad enough. He thought it'd be a good idea to drink it out of the vessels of God, God's vessels that belonged in his temple. He, you know, he wanted to bring those in, decided to, to, to have a drinking party and to drink out of those. And all of a sudden, some handwriting starts to appear on the wall, and he and he becomes so cowardly, his knees begin to smote one upon another. And he calls in Daniel. Daniel tells him what all this means, and he praises Daniel. Oh, I'm going to make you third ruler of the kingdom. And Daniel says, you can save it. <laughs> you can keep it all for yourself because it's only going to last a, a, a tiny bit longer. You've been weighed in the balance. God's going to deal with you. And he indeed does. 
Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So Darius comes in, takes the kills Belshazzar, takes the kingdom. Now the Chaldeans are under the control of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Darius is to some extent an emissary of, of Cyrus. Cyrus sent him in to, to handle this. He takes the Babylonian kingdom, Darius himself. Look at Daniel 9, Daniel chapter 9. Darius himself becomes king of the Chaldeans, as explained in Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Very interesting and incredible. So Darius comes in, he takes the Chaldean kingdom, he becomes the king of the Chaldeans. And you also want to note there that it says his father is a Ahasuerus. That'll also become significant a little bit later as we, as we go through the rest of this historical background. But uh, so you have these Gentile kings. Uh, Persia has taken Babylon. And when they take Babylon by just the nature of that, by, by a natural, you know, outworking of that, they assume control of Judah, the children of the captivity. And now the, the, the power structure has transferred. Things have changed. Cyrus is king. And something incredible is going to happen very soon. And uh, But before we get to all that, you have to come back next time and hear more. And I hope you'll come back next time and hear more. And I hope you find these, these studies that are uh, that deeply entrenched in the historical background of God's people. I hope you find them interesting. I hope you enjoy them. I hope you will do what you have to do on social media if you want to bring any attention to it. I hope you will like it. I hope you will share it. And please leave a comment about what we've talked about here. If you have a question, if you have some uh, some interesting, clear biblical statements <laughs> to add to this, be great. I would love to hear it. would love to talk to you about it. So make sure you throw that in the comments on uh, wherever you happen to be listening to this. Thank you for listening and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.